Welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. I'm your host, Sanjay Parekh. Throughout my career, I've had side hustles, some of which have turned into real businesses. But first and foremost, I'm a serial technology entrepreneur. In the creator space, we hear plenty of advice on how to hustle harder and why you can sleep when you're dead. On this show, we ask new questions in hopes of getting new answers. Questions like, how can small businesses work smarter? How do you achieve balance between work and family? How can we redefine success in our businesses so that we don't burn out after year three? Every week, I sit down with business founders at various stages of their side hustle to small business journey. These entrepreneurs are pushing the envelope while keeping their values. Keep listening for conversation, context, and camaraderie. During late night anatomy and physiology studying sessions, Matthew Mooborn burned candles in his room to relax and create ambiance. As a hobby, Matthew started making ceramics and then candles. First, giving his creations to friends, Matthew eventually began selling his candles at the Athens Farmer's Market. The candles grew in popularity and Matthew and his wife started Rekindle Candle Company. On today's show, I talked to Matthew about how he pivoted from a degree in sports science at the University of Georgia to starting Rekindle how he prioritizes educating potential customers rather than hard selling, and one of the most important tips, how to make your candles last long. Stay tuned. Matthew, uh, welcome to the podcast. Excited to have you with us. Hello. So, okay, let's let's start out. Uh, I want to know a little bit about you and your background. Like, wh- where are you from and uh, what was your upbringing like? So I was born in Alabama, but a couple years after we shortly moved to Georgia around the Atlanta area in the suburbs. So grew up most of the time in the suburbs. We moved suburbs a couple times and then went to college at the University of Georgia in Athens after graduating from high school in Roswell. And when I got into the University of Georgia and ended up deciding to go there, their program was a little different. Their engineering was still getting started. So I sort of shifted back towards anatomy and started pursuing exercise science. And by the end of college, I graduated with a degree in exercise science and athletic training. So orthopedic evaluation, physical therapy, emergency medical care, all that sort of stuff. And then um, got married right after college. My wife and I decided to kind of jump into the whole small business scene um, after pursuing some side hustles, but yeah, growing up mostly in Georgia and the Atlanta area. So, so let me get this right. You, did you ever use your degree for what it was intended or did you never (laughs) do a job related to that? Well, no, not explicitly. I think I did a lot of important (laughs) things in my time in school. Like I remember, this is so funny, but it's funny now, but the last day of my last clinical rotation at UGA. Um, I was working with track and field and we had an athlete who was warming up on the field and it's standard on the field for the javelin throwers to throw their uh, javelins into the grass. It honestly makes them a little more visible than just lying on the ground. And this particular athlete had gotten to practice late and I think just lost like where he was, had his headphones on, he was warming up quickly and he actually backed into the javelin. And the back end of the javelin is sharper than the front end. Um, I think it has to do something with aerodynamics and stuff. But anyway, it like went straight through him. (laughs) And this is like last day. We're about to go to a pizza party and celebrate and like hang out. And so we ended up having this like whole incident. Um, Had to like, you know, take care of him and stuff and like wait for the ambulance to get there. And then 
my mentor, like the athletic trainer at the time who was, um, you know, she, she went to the hospital with him and he ended up being fine and ended up recovering and actually breaking Mm. more records than he was before, which was like really cool. But so like, while I didn't do anything explicitly with my stuff after school, stuff like that in school was like, okay, I felt like I did something with it. (laughs) (laughs) Man, if that's not going to scare you off from a job in that field, I don't know what is. Holy moly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was crazy. I'll, I'll tell you, I I'm the same as you. I, I got a degree in, in electrical engineering, never did that for a day in my life. So, you know, I, I think it's totally fine. I just wanted to understand kind of, uh, your basis there. So did you ever do anything entrepreneurial, you know, during yeah. college or before college? I mean, I had like a lemonade stand and then I upgraded it to a slushy stand. Like when I was a kid and like middle school or whatever growing up. Um, so in college, no, I, I didn't. Um, I didn't do anything entrepreneurial, but I've always been an ideas person. And as our business grows, I've even contemplated like my future role in it and how I want to proceed with it. And I know I always want to have some sort of connection to the creative aspect, the department of like coming up Mm -hmm. with ideas, generating new stuff, because even as I'm like juggling to take care of our current business, I'm always thinking about like other business (laughs) ideas, like what can I do when I have some free time or can, you know, delegate a lot more management to what's going on now. And then when I have free time, pursue this other ridiculous idea that I have. Yep. That, that right there is the curse of the uh, entrepreneur, right? We <laughs> yeah. Short attention spans. We see opportunities everywhere uh, and we want to keep switching and, and uh, you, you got to focus, got to focus yeah. uh, a little bit. Um, so, okay. So, uh, so was rekindle kind of the, the first, big thing or did you you said you had some side hustles before that like what were some of those and and how did they go so i mean mainly growing up in middle school doing that lemonade and slushy stuff in the warmer months was kind of the stuff that made me realize like okay this is kind of cool um but i think sort of i fell into the trap of like safety and like wanting to get a stable job and like i did ceramics in high school for three or four years and would sometimes sell some of the artwork I made from that. And I just got fearful of like, you can't make it as an artist or just the honest idea (laughs) that not a lot of active living artists make a really good wage. Um, You know, there's a lot of posthumous rewards and stuff. And there's some artists that do make it, but I just, I didn't feel at that time in my life, I wasn't the, like the optimist that I am now. And so I was like, I'll just, you know, stick to getting a degree and pursuing that. And so really rekindle was kind of the first opportunity I had, um, to like sort of risk something and try and, you know, gamble for some sort of reward. And, um, it was while I was in school, like doing clinicals and like working full time basically. So it was essentially like giving my little precious amount of time that I had left uh, in school that I could have been spending with like people and like funneling it towards that. And I don't regret it. I do think that like maybe in hindsight, choosing a different degree might've been nice. So I could have enjoyed and soaked up those times with like friends that I really, really cherished. But overall, like I don't regret anything. It was all, it's all good. I love where we're at. I'm so happy. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So talking about candles, like how did you learn how to make candles? Like, was this, did somebody teach you or, or was it YouTube? Like, how, oh, how did you learn? This sort of touches on like the inception of the business, but 
so I mentioned I did ceramics for a long time and I really enjoyed that. I loved taking, right. I guess the idea, again, going back to like taking something like just a ball of clay and making something beautiful out of it, like creating. And I sort of got the bug for that again and started thinking about making ceramics again. And at that time, I was locked up a lot in my bedroom studying and I had been burning a lot of candles, I guess, for ambiance. And so I started getting into candles. And it was one night specifically, I remember I was studying uh, for my structural kinesiology class. And we were basically like memorizing all the muscles and bones and ligaments in the body. And I was just like losing my mind looking at diagrams for hours. <laughs> and I like leaned back in my chair and I was sipping out of this cup, like some coffee, I, a, a, a cup I made in high school. And it wasn't even like that good of a cup. Like I could totally make something better even now, like, but it was just like, I kept it cause it meant something to me. And then I also like looked at the candle on the other side of my book and was like, huh, like, well, the, the sustainability in the environment had just further kind of avalanched into or snowballed into something that was important to me. And so I was like, well, what if I got back into ceramics and then like I put a candle in that, like, most of the time people won't throw away a ceramic. They have a hard enough time throwing away a coffee mug that they bought from like some retail store that isn't even handmade. <laughs> people like hoard coffee mugs nowadays. I don't know why I'm guilty of it too. What if one know. day I run out of all the other cups and I need this one? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's like a hoard mentality. I don't get it. But, um, and I was like, man, if I made this candle for somebody or at least gave it to you, you probably wouldn't throw the container away. I could probably tell you to reuse it and make it a coffee mug, further fill up your cabinet. Or like kind of thinking about potentially making money, just like an idea sort of shot off in my head that was like, what if I, you know, said you could get them refilled? Because we have such a disposable economy, whether it's with, you know, plateware or plastics or glass containers from candles, for example. And one thing we know about glass and plastics is that it takes forever to degrade um, or even to turn it back into a material that we can really reuse well and turn it back into material efficiently that we can use well. And was like, oh, I bet they could like, I could give them a discount if they wanted to refill it because I'm not having to pay for another container. They're doing something good. It's a win-win all the way around. And so the, they like honestly kind of coalesce all there in that one night, like studying. And I had, that was, I think in the beginning of summer, the end of spring, but I had, I was going to Colorado for a couple months and my birthday was during that trip. And my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time had, basically got a bunch of my friends and roommates together to for my birthday pay for a studio membership to the local like ceramic studio and it paid nice. for like two or three months and like a bunch of clay i mean it was like several hundred dollars it was like one of the nicest most intentional things that somebody's got me and it basically freed up my mind to kind of just create you know, when you don't have to worry about money or finances and stuff, you really flourish because there's nothing overhanging that's sort of bearing you down and kind of limiting your fluidity and your creative process. And so those first few months, I was just like slinging stuff out, making a bunch of stuff. It didn't even necessarily relate to candles. I was just like getting back into it, you know, loving creating stuff again. 
Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox, committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 1901. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, the business insurance experts. And then eventually I ordered some materials to make candles because I was like, if I'm going to start a business that has to do candles, I need to learn how to make them. So (laughs) the distributor we ended up uh, going with and that we actually still use to this day, they have a lot of really good resources. There's a lot of YouTube videos, but if you go look up stuff anywhere from YouTube videos to blogs, like they all have different anecdotal evidence for what works best for their candle making process. So it was like super annoying at first sifting through everything, trying to figure out like, well, what should I do? And then I'm super hands-on. Mm-hmm. So I just started like jumping into it and like making it and was like, screw it. I'll figure it out as I go. And so I found out like using a microwave wasn't great because it accelerated the heating process too much and you couldn't monitor it really well. And you had to, you know, bring the temp or like wait for the temp to drop. And the double boiler method on the stove was like a lot better because you could slowly monitor it. and. Uh, I don't even know what a microwave really does to the molecular structure of the wax, if it does anything. So I sort of just started playing around with it, got a foundation from looking on the internet. And I found that even over the past four or five years, like there are things that I still do in my practice that aren't necessarily in line with what's recommended, like as far as temperature gradients go and stuff, because I found where Hmm. I pour that pouring at this temperature works best for my environment. And that can be true when you, you know, live in Atlanta where there's high humidity and the pressure might be different relative to the sea level versus Colorado where, you know, low humidity and I think higher pressure because, you know, they're above sea level much more. So it can actually vary a lot based on where you live. There's a ton of chemistry that goes into it. How did you find your first customers? Like where, where was your first sale? (laughs) I mean, and, and how did you figure out the right price yeah. too? That, yeah, that's that always was, a big question for, for people yeah. starting. Like, how did you know what, what to sell it for? And that's something that I think um, the price points are something that I'll touch on with good detail because I think it's important for a lot of people who are getting into, whether it's a side hustle or starting a small business, that it's good to know value and how to transmit that. But my first customers were actually all of my friends on that Colorado trip. I went with a group um, out to like serve a community in Colorado, in southwestern Colorado. And I had started telling them about like the inception of the idea. I had it kind of brewing. They were all like super supportive and like, that sounds like a great idea. So when I actually finally got around to mixing all that stuff and doing crazy stuff and made some candles that worked, they were the first people that bought them. And I honestly don't even... I don't even remember if I sold them to them. If it was, it was a small amount or if they were just guinea pigs. And I was like, please test this for me. Um, Because giving stuff out is free marketing. So it's like, you know, they tell their roommates and stuff. And so eventually there was like a small group of friends um, and their friends that started buying them and knew you could get refills. So we had people coming to like our duplex, like dropping off containers and I would (laughs) refill it for them. So sort of garnered a little bit of a following doing that until eventually we actually started doing the Athens farmer's market. So (laughs) I like became friends with the market manager at the time for the farmer's market. And one of the farmer's markets in Athens and was like, if you guys ever have any Saturdays open up, please like reach out. Eventually we started kind of our following sort of moved to the farmer's market, but also new people started finding us at the farmer's market. 
And the yeah. Athens farmers market's great because they're all people who are like really conscious about like the environment. That's honestly actually part of the bylaws is uh, like sustainability is really important in terms of like selecting vendors and stuff. And so a lot of people who attend there really like the idea of being able to do something positive with their containers and like refilling them and getting a discount because a lot of people agreed it was sort of a waste to just throw glass into the landfill. So that sort of after college turned into like full-time we were doing the market like every Saturday Mm -hmm. and we started doing Wednesday markets there as well. And was also doing that while at that point we had gotten a a portion of Squarespace or not Squarespace, but floor space in a store in a small town called Monroe, which is actually where we are now. So once I graduated, I was like jumped into the farmer's market and then we started getting the store ready over here. So, okay. But during that whole farmer's market process, price point was kind of like a thing to figure out. Cause it's like, you know, the whole goal is to make money, but we had all these candles priced at like five and $10. And I don't think people really understand how much value they tie to the, the monetary value of a product, because I was telling them, you know, like we're using all these, this sustainable soy wax that helps the environment, you know, is better for your health or using wood wicks that crackle when they burn their source sustainably, they help plant trees and you can get them refilled. And like, there was just some sort of disconnect there with somebody like understanding that that was five or $10. Like it just, it didn't make sense. And so we actually raised our prices. And when we've raised our prices to say 10 and $20, it almost is like something clicked with them. And they were like, now I understand like the value of it. Like it's almost like because the price is higher, it Mm. makes sense. I tell all of our employees here, like, I don't want you to be a salesperson, at least a traditional salesperson. Like don't be hammering people for buying stuff or just like, just educate them and people will make their own decisions. Cause at the end of the day, I'm not worried about making money. That's not my goal. So it frees me up to like empower my employees to say, treat customers with love and respect and educate them. And like, whether or not they end up buying our stuff or not, like it doesn't, I don't care. I don't want you guys to care about that. So I don't know where I was going with that. Actually. What was your initial question? (laughs) Price point, I guess. Price point, how did you decide um, you okay. know, what you were selling it for? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. I felt empowered to be able to, I'll say market because in business, that's what it's called. But to me is educate the people who were considering buying our stuff at say the farmer's market and tell them about all the right. good stuff that was in it. I felt empowered that that was worth $20 versus yeah. ceramics. Like when you, I made you know coffee mugs and stuff and I was trying to sell for 35 or 40 bucks, I didn't feel like at peace and empowered to sell that to people. I, I like, I understand the value of it. Like if we go to a festival or fair or something and there's a local artist, like I, I know the value, the time, the sweat equity that goes into that. But a lot of people, they'll go up to like a ceramist and be like, Oh, that's, that's expensive. And so I didn't feel like I could be on the other end of that, explaining to them really why it was expensive. And in a sense, maybe defending the price point. But I found that sweet spot with the candle business. And I think everybody just has to feel confident in what they have. But also understand there's a huge shift going on now with like people don't want to be sold stuff. Nobody wants to go to a car dealership and like the guy immediately walks out and is trying to sell you everything. And like, it's just like people want to be educated and respected. 
And I think that's important to take to note with like the generations going on now. I'd love to know, like, are there any tools, software, um, things like that, that you use in the business that help you make it easier to manage um, or, or more efficient to manage? Yeah, I actually, I was so frugal. I joked with my wife, I'm more frugal with my, or I'm more diligent with my business finances and my personal finances. Like in our relationship, she's really conservative and frugal. And I'm like the spender. Like I love buying stuff, <laughs> uh, but I didn't have a ton of money in college. So I was like, I'm not paying for QuickBooks. So I knew it was important to keep track of stuff. So I had Excel um, because like UGA, I think gives it out to students for like a period of time. I think a lot of schools do that. And so I had it and I was like, I'm going to use this. So I, whenever I would buy stuff, I'd get receipts and stuff and I would manually enter it in Excel and there was no shortcuts or anything. I was literally typing everything in. And so I did this, I'm not kidding, for probably three years. I did it for two years in college. And then one year when we were actually in the store, I was still doing all of it by hand manually um, because I was like, if I can do it myself and save the money, then I can take other money and reinvest it into our like research and development or just buying supplies and stuff. And so eventually one of our customers is an accountant. We reached out to him and he, I think at that point I had actually started incorporating QuickBooks into it, but I definitely was classifying things wrong. So <laughs> he came through and like <laughs> reorganize a bunch of stuff and like actually categorize it correctly. And I would say for those few months that I was into QuickBooks, it definitely made it a lot easier. Even if it wasn't like, categorized as an accountant would categorize it. It still gave me the picture of what I was spending, what was coming in, where money was going towards, and really empowered me to kind of make better decisions. Because if I was spending like $500 on like research and development that wasn't going anywhere, I should probably make some decisions there and, you know, put $200 towards that and just squeeze the lemon really hard and then take the other 300 and buy Wix or something with it. So QuickBooks is a really great platform and it's honestly not that expensive but you can always use excel and do it manually (laughs) (laughs) well uh matthew this has been fascinating um oh i had one more question before i let you go i just realized that i saw on your website there's something called the memory burn okay and i read through the description of this thing and i couldn't figure out what you were actually trying to explain because i've probably been doing candles all wrong (laughs) this whole time so explain to me and our listeners what is the memory burn and how do we need to burn our candles properly so we don't mess them up okay so i think you just opened pandora's box so i'll try and be as concise with this give me the short version give me the 60 second version the 60 second because i won't remember the the real version there's a lot of different types of waxes and different types of wicks. Most of the candles you buy from TJ Maxx or Walmart, you probably could not even implement the memory burn and it wouldn't make a difference because the wax that you're buying that's mass produced is usually more flammable and more resilient and forgiving. The wax we use, which is 100% soy wax, sustainably sourced, and wood wicks that are sustainably sourced, they're both denser and thicker than traditional supplies that you might get from Walmart or TJ Maxx or candles from Walmart or TJ Maxx or whatever. Um, and so therefore they take longer to burn. So what a lot of people have started calling the memory burn is essentially the first burn when you burn your candle, try and let it melt out all the way to the glass and create what's called an even wax pool 
it's just basically where the melted wax is like a nice even layer um and it's like a pool if you will because what can happen is if you light it for five or 10 minutes and blow it out and run to the store because you forgot like an ingredient for the dish that you're making for dinner and you do that a few times it actually sort of like depresses and becomes sort of concave and then eventually creates a Mm -hmm. tunnel going down through your wax and you get a bunch of wax caked up on the walls and then it occludes the diameter and the the wick gets kind of suffocated for oxygen so basically letting your candle melt out to the glass each time not only makes sure it burns nice and bright you smell it more and you actually get to utilize and melt all that wax in your candle got it i have definitely been burning candles wrong (laughs) uh based on that description so okay if our listeners want to find candles that they now can burn properly now that they know how to do the memory burn. Um, where the, where can they find your stuff? So our website and Instagram are probably the best places. It's rekindlecandle.co, not .com. And you can find us on Instagram or that as our website URL as well. Um, rekindlecandle.co. Um, we have subscriptions and stuff you can buy online. We have all sorts of products now. It's crazy. I mean, and when you we ship started, everywhere in the like, U.S. Yes, everywhere in the U.S. If you do wholesale, you can actually find us. Like if you're a retailer yourself, you can find us on a platform called Fair. It's F A I R E, and you can buy bulk there if you want too. And we ship internationally through that platform. Awesome. Matthew, this has been fascinating. I now know how to burn candles, right? So uh, (laughs) if nothing else, that's a win. Uh, Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, wish you the best. Thanks, Sanjay. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Side Hustle to Small Business Podcast, powered by Hiscox. To learn more about how Hiscox can help protect your small business through intelligent insurance solutions, visit hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X dot com. And if you have a story you want to hear on this podcast, please visit hiscox.com slash share your story. I'm your host, Sanjay Parikh. You can find me on Twitter at at Sanjay, that's S-A-N-J-A-Y, or on my website at sanjayparikh.com. 